you submit in our, not just our minds, but deep within our souls, that it's you alone that we desperately need. And we say those words so casually, but then our life, our life screams at us that when you say you need Jesus and that's all you need, but you keep chasing that and you're chasing this and you're chasing that other thing and you're chasing this relationship and you're chasing this possession and you're chasing this experience. And then we come to church and we're saying, Christ alone, Christ alone. And we're chasing all this stuff. God, help us to see that about ourselves. Help us to see it about ourselves long before we see it in anyone else. We tend to see it in others and want to make sure they know that we see it and we're trying to straighten everybody out. God, help me to surrender my life to you and that me and you, me submitting to you and your grace working in me, you would straighten me out. So we would keep jobs and we would have relationships but our passion and our confidence and our security is in you and in you alone. God, help us to get it back. God, please. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. Open quickly your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Make your way to chapter 22. And I have this... Uh, daunting challenge commitment I really believe it's of God calling to survey with you, cover with you two full chapters, lengthy chapters full, full overflowing with great great practical stuff deep theology to do that in one setting I must be out of my mind but that's been pretty much established through the years. He is completely out of his mind. <laughs> Let's go quickly to work. I, I, I could ramble a bit, as that's my gift, it seems. Uh, but let's go quickly to work right away. Chapter 22, look at verse 2. Chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death. Because the chief priests and scribes, they were fearful of a grassroots mass reaction. They know that the people love Jesus. The religious authorities, those who have all the power to make decisions. And we would like to think in America, because of democracy, those of us who represent the power, taxpayers and voters, we get to make the decisions. But there is this growing, growing, growing frustration that, wait a second, I'm not sure we have as much power as we thought we did, and we're certainly not making any real decisions. It's not a new problem. You see it in verse 2. The religious authorities hate Jesus, verse 2, and they're plotting to kill him. They're plotting to kill him. But the religious authorities... We're saying, but the people love him. We, we, we can't afford to lose all of that. We can, we can get around some of it, but we can't lose all of that. And so they're caught in a moral, political dilemma. Does that sound familiar to national behavior? Anybody? 
that we get caught in these moral, political dilemmas. Now, it's critical that you catch this. Verse 3, Satan enters into Judas, who is, we know, one of the twelve. But verse 4, 5, and 6 explain that. My fear is a lot of us get sympathetic for Judas in verse 3. Oh, that's a shame. Poor guy, he really loved Jesus, but Satan came, you know, and what are you going to do? That is not what's happening here at all. Satan possesses those who have by voice, and certainly by behavior, invited him in. And I could preach two sermons just on that. Just on that. This is not, oh, the poor victim Judas. Boy, oh boy, what a shame for him. In fact, just to give you a hint of this, what I'm calling inviting Satan in. Look at verse 4. So, that's Judas went away and conferred the chief priests and officers how he might betray them. Judas approaches them and says, hey, fellas, I, I, I know you want to get rid of him. I think I can help you with that. He approached them. He went to the chief priest. He went to the officers. And he says, I can turn him over to you. I, I know his I know his routine. I know where we're going to be. I, I, I can help you out with this. Verse 5. They, the chief priests, the high priests, the staff that worked for the high priests, they were glad and agreed. Agreed. And you don't agree to something unless it's been offered to you. You hear an offer and you disagree or you agree. So Judah says, I can do this for you, verse 4. I've got a plan. I can, I can tell you where and when. But I need to get paid. And they said, okay. They agreed. They agreed. And then finally, verse 6. So, he said, good. Maybe they shook hands, whatever they did. Good. Here's my price. We'll pay that price. So he consented. And now begins to look for the moment that he'll actually turn Jesus over. This is how these two great chapters open up. I want you to catch a sense of, of climate. I want you to catch a sense of atmosphere. So, uh, this is what's going on. These first six verses give you a pretty detailed introduction of what's happening in this whole process it's about to unfold for us in these two great chapters. Now they're not exhaustive, these two chapters in Luke. There's some things that John says that Luke doesn't. Same with Mark and Matthew. But Luke gives us a general and, and enough detail that while we're missing a few details from the other three Gospels, you, you catch what's happening as introduced in verses 1 through 6. That being the case, verse 7 down to verse 14 is just preparation for the Lord's Supper, or Passover, we call it the Lord's Supper, after the resurrection. It was Passover. Passover for covenant Jewish people was an annual event to celebrate when the angel of death passed over all the homes where blood was applied during the days of the ten plagues and the exodus out of Egypt. It was an annual remembrance. Jesus is about to turn that whole thing, not sarcastically, 
but theologically on its head. So in verses 7 down to verse 14, he says to, in fact the names are given, I think it might be Peter and John, I should know this, it's there in that paragraph. You guys go ahead and, 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 and make ready. And they're doing that. We step in, because I'm fighting with the clock, we step in at verse 14, especially verse 15, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. <coughs> That's interesting. Now remember, this is an annual event. This is the third year of Jesus' earthly public ministry. So he's had at least two previous times of this annual memorial event. And he doesn't, in fact, there's just passing reference to those first two events. This third event is critical. You'll see one just a bit. And it's at this moment, he says, I really look forward to this one with you guys. I'm really cherishing this. Not that the first two were meaningless. There's a hint. There's a hint in verse 15. I really earnestly desired to eat this before I suffer. Before I suffer. Because Jesus is about to be the living illustration of the Old Testament Passover meal. Of the Old Testament Passover ceremony. They would take a lamb. And the lamb would be sacrificed and the blood would be applied, and the angel of death would pass over. And Jesus is about to become the lamb on the cross. And your lives can be covered by the blood of that lamb. Your spirit, your sins can be covered by the payment of that lamb. And eternal death and damnation will pass over you. Jesus is about to live out personally, bodily, the Passover picture, the Passover story. That's what's going on here. That's the event. That's the event. He says, I really earnestly desire to eat this meal and to have this time. 16, I tell you, I will not do it again until it is fulfilled. Now, if something is fulfilled, it's because the thing that's being fulfilled was portrayed as a futuristic fulfillment. We're doing it. We've been doing it annually in an Old Testament setting. From this point forward, we'll do it routinely. Weekly. Some people do it daily. Other people do it occasionally. As often as you do it, the Apostle Paul says, do it in remembrance of me. But one day, it will be fulfilled. The picture, the portrayal, the point that it's reminding us of will be our reality. So, so once we're face to face with Jesus and He becomes our reality, I don't need a reminder anymore. I don't need a futuristic picture anymore. It's right before me. And Jesus is saying to them and to us, really look forward to this with those twelve. This is our last one together, fellas. Until, verse 16, it's fulfilled. So the Lord's Supper is both looking behind us, back to Moses' day, especially to Jesus when he became the Passover lamb. But we're not just looking back. We're looking forward. We're looking forward that we will drink it new and eat it new in our Father's kingdom. Is that beautiful? 
Now he does mention, skip down to verse 21. He does mention some problems. The hand who betrays me is with me on the table. I've really been looking forward to this, but i got to tell you, there's, there's sin amongst us. And it's on two levels. And he deals with the first level here. We'll get to the second level in just a bit. First level is Judas. His brother's not even one of us. Not really a brother. He's not of us. <coughs> the word betrayal is used, which is a broad term, but he uses it specifically in the sense that, now he's never been of us. He's right now full of Satan. He's always been with Satan. But he's full of Satan in this moment. He's not with us. He never was really with us. He's been stealing all along. Luke doesn't say that. The other Gospels make it explicitly clear. Crystal clear. Not that stealing is the unpardonable sin. But it becomes the manifestation of the heart. Like all sin. It becomes the manifestation. It becomes the expression of the heart. He's not of us, fellas. He's not of us. And he's about to be exposed. We'll get to Peter's denial, which is horrible, but it's not the same as eternal betrayal. There's two categories of sin here. And I'm not sure I wanted to say it that way. It came out that way. There's a better way of saying that. Sin is sin, but, but Judah's sin is portrayed in, nah, I, I've never been redeemed, and I fell back into a sinful act. The Bible is full of stories of people who were redeemed, and they fell momentarily back into a sinful act. But when that becomes a lifestyle, we say, wait, wait, maybe, never, you, maybe, maybe you were never born again. That's still your life. If that's your routine, procedural process, lifestyle, maybe you were never born again. So he deals with Judas. He exposes Judas. He acknowledges that it's, it's here. Verse 23 is, is great theology. Catch verse 23. I'm sorry, it's, it's um, uh, yeah, it, it is verse 23. 22, I, I knew this was wrong, it's 22. The Son of Man goes as has been determined. I'm about to die. I'm not sure they fully comprehend that yet in this actual moment, verse 22, not 23, 22. I'm going to die. And, and this is all predetermined. This is all God's plan. This is Genesis 50. Remember Joseph and his brothers? You guys meant it for evil. God meant this to happen for good. God meant this to happen. God means for his son to die. That doesn't excuse Judas. And we have this collision. This, what to us is this illogical, nonsensical collision of, wait, wait, how can God will for this to occur? This, this isn't right. This is wrong. Well, as we understand things earthly, uh, humanly, logically, yeah, of course. Joseph's brothers shouldn't have treated him that way, but they did. Because that was God's process to bring about salvation for both nations, Egypt and Israel, in providing the food. It's not just about providing the food. It's keeping the line alive for the Messiah to come. And those two great achievements are linked to the life of Joseph. Verse 22 is crystal. It's beautiful. 
The Son of Man goes and has been determined. But woe, woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Oh, wait a second. You can't have it both ways. I'm not saying that God breaks the rules. But God's ways are so much higher than our ways. Judas is not some puppet and I don't know what I'm doing but I love Jesus but I have to betray Jesus. That's not what's going on here. Judas loves money. And Judas loves money more than Jesus. And what do you love more than Jesus? Then maybe you're not going to get it. I know that's cruel and that's harsh but there's no other conclusion. Judas loves money, and he loves money more than he loves Jesus. And if you love anything more than you love Jesus, you need some serious, some serious investigation between me and what I call my Redeemer. Judas loves money more than Jesus. Do you love your pleasure? Do you love your sexual expression? Do you love money? Do you love... Do, I don't know what, what fascinates you, what draws you, what becomes your idol, your God, your master. Do you love drugs more than Jesus? Do you, what, what, what is it? And we're living in a culture that says, well, come on, Pastor, I, you know, I'm uh, compared to them, we're not comparing you to someone else. And you can always find someone else who's already doing it, so it's okay for you to do it. And they go to church too. Well, do you want to go to hell with them if we're working on the possibility that maybe they're not born again? Verse 22 is critical, beautiful, foundational to everything we know about truth in the Bible. It was predetermined that God would take the flesh and all those Old Testament pictures about God taking the flesh and give his life a ransom, a payment for our enslavement. But each of us are personally responsible for our own participation in that process. And they collide here. In a harmonious way, when you catch God's perspective, in a very harmonious way for our benefit. This is what God is doing to rescue his people eternally, to save us from our old idols that we cling to. And, and we try to hold on to Jesus, but we're clinging to this. And Judas couldn't let go. Judas couldn't let go because he was born again, because people who are born again have the power, the divine power in them to let go of their sin. They love it, they reach back to it, but we let go. And we touch it again and say, why am I doing this? I'm, I'm disgusted with myself. Let go. Let, and we let go of our sin. Oh, God's grace is real in my life. God's grace is real in my life. I'm not sinless, but I'm victoriously fighting my sin. The nasty stuff or gossip. Some people would just rather tell a story about someone else than they would pray because they love gossip more than they love Jesus. And on and on I can go. I'm getting stuck here. we got a lot to cover. But this is at the heart of the very issue. This is the difference between Judas and Peter. Judas and I hope us. 
I hope we're more like Peter, not like Judas. This is what's coming to head in these two great chapters. So, there's Judas. He does acknowledge faithfulness. Look at verse 28. Chapter 22 and verse 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. <clears throat> my mother, when I was a little boy, used to warn me about fair weather friends, was yeah. her language. Yeah. And there's a lot of fair weather Christians. America and the West is filled with them. But week by week, when we read about these persecuted Christians, now that's real Christians. When pressure comes, they still stand up. All of us overestimate our faithfulness. All of us think we'll be of that number. Until a little pressure comes, and we start to tremble. Oh, I can make it, I can make it. And then the pressure increases, and we say, no, no, this is too much, and we're out. That's Judas. He loved money more than he loved Jesus. And, and maybe you don't love money, but maybe you love what money can do for you. Or something else. There are those, verse 28, who when trials come, they stick around. And to those, verse 29, I give you what my Father gave me. A kingdom. A kingdom. Kingdom. Come on, think that through. A kingdom. Yeah. Not a sailboat, not a Corvette, not a new minivan, if that's your passion. Not a house in the mountains or a house at the shore. Not this, not that, not travel, not financial security. A kingdom. A place where you're safe. A place where you will rule and reign with me, your ultimate king. That I will share all of my authority with you. I will share all of my very essence with you. My holiness, your holiness. My wealth, my power, your wealth, your power. All that I am, all that is mine, is yours. Or, you can betray me for 30 pieces of silver. But those who stick it through the trials, ah, they have a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. When God will recreate all of heaven and earth and the whole globe will be like the Garden of Eden. And I don't know what you're seeking after for your satisfaction, but is it worth losing this kingdom, this, this global Garden of Eden that we're ruling and reigning with Jesus? You, you're going to give that up because... Well, I, 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 you know, you know what I've been through, and I just need this. You need that more than you would desire the things of God, both now and for eternity. It means that much to you. My right to do what I want. You're going to cling to it that tenaciously when you, when when the Bible tells you what 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 you're really paying to cling to whatever you're clinging to. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh my goodness. Verse 31, kind of prophetic. He says, look, now he's shifting to Peter. So we, we talked about Judas. And, and Peter's amongst the group that he calls faithful. 
there in the section we just read. But he does call Peter out personally. First he makes a general statement. Look, one of you guys is going to betray me. Well, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say betray me. One of you will deny me. One of, and, and catch the two, whatever words you want to use. One of you is Judas. And we've established that. But one of you that remain, that, that are in this group that he calls faithful in verse 28, one of you that are the faithful, uh, you, you're, you're going to choke. You're going to back away. You're, if the heat's going to get too hot, you're going to say, no, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And Peter, like most of us, we overestimate our faithfulness. I'll never do that. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the good guys. I'm committed. And we say that loud, and people at church say, okay, we know you have one. You, you always remind us how faithful you are. And, 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 and we, we act and say stuff like that, and then Jesus says, dude, you put your foot in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually talking about you, Peter. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. This is scary stuff. This is... Judas is not even in the circle. Peter's in the circle, and he thinks he's probably one of the gathered better and maybe the best guy in the circle. And Jesus says, no, man, I'm talking about you. See how blind we can become? When I was a little boy, we, we had these, uh, you know, Bible memory things and, and achievements, and you, 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 there was, a, there was the, the, the little, like a, well, it looked like a brooch, but men don't wear brooches. It was, it was a, it's a little thing, and, and you could attach other things to it. So this thing was pinned, and then the, the first banner, and the next banner, and it's like a, you had a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> and and you, would, when I was 12, 13, you would, man, that man, he, boy, he should be in seminary right now. <laughs> My heart was very interested in the sin of the world. I'm a Bible-quoting pastor's son, but my heart is very interested, very interested in all the things of the world. I was sick and tired of being poor. I was sick and tired of my world was this big. I was sick and tired of about 10 million things. I'm going to church, but my heart and my ambitions and my passions and my curiosities and I thought all of my pleasure was outside of it. Got to be out there somewhere. I'm going to find it. And that's Peter. And still me to some degree. And every one of you, please don't say I'm wrong. So it's kind of making the point. I, I, I love the line that says, but I've prayed for you. I don't hate you. I don't hate you. And, and, and don't catch my language and, and think that I hate you. I do not. But it, it's comforting to know that Jesus is praying for all the Peters. Judas is gone. Judas is out. Forget about it. But Peter, well, he's praying for Peter. Yeah. Bless God, He's praying for us. Yeah. Us, if you know Him. Yeah. If you know Him. Yeah. He's praying for us. Well, let's 35. Get to verse 35, and, and this is interesting. 
He says, remember when I sent you out, remember a couple weeks ago we come from sitting up in 70 in Paris of two? That's what he's talking about. Remember when I sent you out and you, you didn't take money and you didn't take any clothes or you didn't take any food or, or even extra shoes? Remember, and, and I sent you out like that? Did you like anything? They said, no, no, nothing. Which is his way of saying, haven't I always taken care of you? Didn't I always provide? Now from that point, he transitions to the next few verses and, he, and he's still saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide. I'm going to protect you. But he uses some language that's horribly, this paragraph, horribly misunderstood. And he says, uh, you, what you should do is, what you should do is, if you've got a knapsack, if, if, if you've got a, a, a backpack, if you've got whatever you carry stuff in, you, you, if you've got an extra jacket, you should sell it by a sword. Sell it by a sword. And, and, uh, they, they do something that, 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 that Luke doesn't give in hardly any detail. They go or they find something and they say, we got two. And he says, it is enough. Now most people think, most people think Jesus is saying, oh, two shorts should be enough. Two's good. But if, if you know this passage, you know the story that, that when they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the guards come from, from Caiaphas' court. The, the temple guards, when they come to arrest Jesus and, and falsely try him for treason and blasphemy and they're going to kill him, Peter grabs a sword. Peter grabs a sword and, and, and he's trying to cut this soldier's head off. And, and, and Jesus rebukes Peter for that. And Peter must have been thinking, what are you mad at me for? You told me to get a sword. In this passage where we are right here. But I don't think Jesus is saying get a sword at all. Well, Dave, why are you saying that? This? It says get a sword. Well, are you paying attention? Do you read the Bible much? Jesus is always, always a, a, a virtually, he very much, awful, almost always, using metaphors and pictures and poetic language. He does it all the time. Here's an illustration. John chapter 4, woman at the well, the immoral woman, and, and, and the apostles are with Jesus, and they said, Jesus, we're, we're going to go in town and get something to eat. He said, okay. So he sits out at the well, and, and he's talking with the woman, and, and long story, she comes to faith. She brings all of her wicked, immoral friends. She's an immoral woman. What kind of friends do you think she has? They all come. Many of them did come to faith. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a wonderful spiritual experience, and, and Jesus is fulfilled. Jesus is content. Jesus is satisfied. This, this is why I'm on the earth. And, and, and the gospel is given. People repent. It's beautiful. And about that same time, the apostles come back. The apostles come back and, and they said, Jesus, we, we got food. We went down and got food. We got food. Uh, so you better eat. And Jesus says, I have meat to eat that you don't understand. We're not talking about food. We're not talking about food at all. He's talking about contentment, satisfaction. Fulfillment. To when I do my father's work, it's, there's nothing better. I'm satisfied. I'm, I'm not even hungry anymore. This, this satisfies me. Spirit, soul, and even body. I'm not even hungry. So when Jesus says in this passage, it's time to get a sword, I don't think he's saying, enough of this talking nice, turn the other cheek, go second mouth, forget that. We're changing philosophy. We're going to kill somebody today. Jesus is not saying that. There's no shift in philosophy. Jesus hasn't changed his mind. He's not saying, this hasn't worked out, it's wrong. we got to kill somebody. 
not what's happening here at all. Jesus is saying, we're at the biggest fight of our lives. And in a fight, you need a sword. But I'm not talking about swords made of metal and sharpened on both edges. I'm talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You better be bringing some verses. You better be bringing some scripture. You better be bringing some biblical thinking. Because right now, you're at a war with Satan, and Judas has lost that battle. But not you, brothers. Not even you, Peter. We're going to fight this fight on our knees in faith. Fight the good fight of faith. That's the sword in play here. That's what Jesus is talking about. So when he says, it is enough, he's not saying, oh, two, two will be alright. He's like, stop, stop talking about swords. I'm, 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 I shouldn't have used that word. I don't think Jesus ever said I should have done anything. You guys aren't getting it. Enough talk about the swords. Stop with the swords. He says it again in verse 51. No more sword talk. Stop. Stop. This is a dangerous time. You have to fight spiritual stuff. Spiritual fighting. Verse 44. Skip down to verse 44. we got to keep going. Moving quickly today. Can't stop. Don't smell these flowers today. Move, move, move. 44. Being in agony. I want you to catch that. Being in agony. Jesus is not, ah, that's me. I mean, nothing to me. I'm God in the flesh. You know, I'm just, you know, I'll do it because I got to do it. But ah, I'm going to wait for this to get over. No big deal. Everything that you would have felt in the flesh, Jesus felt. What do you think is happening when on the cross he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think that's just, well, you know, you sort of kind of have to say that he's God. Never, ever in some way that I just cannot explain to you at all. The Trinity is, is, I don't even want to say disrupted. I don't want to say. Something has happened. Jesus is feeling an emotion and, and the thoughts that come with that emotion that he has never, never known before. That I am not one with the Father in this moment. Those of you that have been through a divorce. How did you feel when your spouse said, you know, I'm, I'm done. I can't do you anymore. I'm out. Those of you that have survived being abandoned by one or both parents, what did that feel like? My love, my protection, my safety, my security, my, my family, my... Do, do you catch the verse? And being in agony. You know why he's in agony? Because he's fighting 
for all of us Peters who are left. Judas is already gone, but he's fighting for all of us Peters who love Jesus, but uh, yeah, he, he's getting like crazy sometimes. I need some distance for my own safety's sake. And for all of us who are like Peter, he's going to go to the cross and pay for our sin. And that requires a break between he and the Father. Because in that moment, with Jesus on the cross, the Father becomes the judge. And because Jesus is bearing our sin, the Father has to, has to judge the sin that's on Jesus, although it's not Jesus' sin. It's your sin. It's my sin. It's all of our seeking all this other stuff that we seek like Jesus. Judas couldn't stop seeking it. This is agony. It began in the Garden of Gethsemane. Blood mingled with sweat. Sweat mingled with blood is coming out of his brow. That's intensity. Jesus is in agony. But that's not just a spiritual trauma. It's not just a spiritual battle. It's, it's the social, cultural. Verse 46, he finds the apostle sleeping. I'm about to go to the cross for you. You brothers asleep. If you live in a two-income home, let's paint this really well, because this is probably more typical. Whoever gets home first, husband, wife. Well, let's say the husband got home first and he went back to his office to clean out some emails, or he changed his clothes, went out to the garage and work on his project. He's mowing the grass, he's you know. But mom comes home and well, someone's still got to make dinner because he ain't making dinner and the kids don't know how to cook. But the dishes are still in the from yesterday and no one made their bed this morning and the place is a wreck and the dogs hadn't been fed and and and, and the mom saying, "Your father works and I work and I get no help." This is all fictitious to all of you, I'm sure. <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. You see, it's, it's these things that make me love Jesus. He doesn't do that to Peter and all of us. He doesn't go off on us. Read verse 46. Come on, fellas, you got to wake up. Wake up. But a point. Rise and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. I'm trying to help you fight sin. I'm fighting sin right now. I'm trying to help you fight sin. Come on, fellas, get up and pray. Not because I need you here with me. Come on, can't you see I'm dying here? Fellas, don't let Satan get you. Brothers, don't let Satan get you. Wake up. Pray. Mm -hmm. Verse 60. Still in chapter 22, of course. Skip down to verse 60. I'm sorry. Let's look quickly. Look at 47. 
It's just the idea that Jews come from a kiss. That is, he's still keeping up his charade. You know, I'm, I'm in. I've got nothing but love for you, Jesus. <laughs> wow. And he comes with a kiss. And then that paragraph ends in verse 53. This is your hour, Judas. And this is the power of darkness. You're keeping up images, saying you love Jesus, kissing on Jesus, acting like you can do all that and still be caught in the grip of darkness. Yeah. Don't play with this. Don't fall into 21st century American cultural Christianity. Love me some Jesus, but let's not get carried away. Judas got carried away with money. And he got carried away by death angels straight to hell in just about 18 hours from what we're reading right now. Jesus is fighting for the rest of us. I hope you're of the us. He's fighting for all the Peters in the world. So sure enough, the soldiers come and they arrest him. Now verse 60. Now look at verse 60. Peter said, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This woman said, hey, you, you have a Galilean accent. I think I saw you with him once before. And he said, no, you crazy. That ain't me. Absolutely not me. No, no way. And just as he's saying that, the rooster crows. Jesus walks out of the court with Caiaphas and their eyes block. And, and love this. I love this phrase. And the Bible says, verse 62, that he went out and wept bitterly. When's the last time you wept bitterly about your sin and how your sin brought wedge and denial between you and Jesus? I love Jesus, but not now. Not now. I'm here having fun. I'm here making money. I'm here satisfying my flesh. I'm here lining my pockets. I'm here doing whatever I'm doing. Not now, Jesus. I see you on Sunday. Do you really think you can live your whole life being immoral to stay as an illustration? And you show up on Sunday and everything's great. I can lie and lie and lie and lie and lie and lie. You show up on Sunday and everything's great. Judas shows up and gives him a kiss. I should have pointed out to you way back when this whole thing begins in verse 6 of chapter 22. Verse 6 says that I can arrange to turn him over without being seen. Because he wants to protect this, this persona that I'm with Jesus. I'm one of the good guys. I have it both ways. I get money from the Pharisees, but Jesus don't even know that I'm getting them in the back. No, Jesus knows exactly who's getting him in the back. Whether it's Judas or Dave or whatever the name may be. Peter is weeping bitterly. Judas is sneaking around trying to count his money. I want you to keep seeing over and over the differences portrayed here. Because every one of us is either a Judas or a Peter. There is no middle ground. We're completely out. Or we're in and we're wrestling with our sin. By God's grace, he's helping us wrestle. 
You better be figuring that out for yourself. Have I put my faith in Jesus or is this just, just cultural tradition and I can go to church and feel better about myself? I feel better about myself when I get a good clean bath. That doesn't get me into heaven. That doesn't give me a relationship with the living God. Well, we pretty much got a whole chapter to go. <laughs> So they leave Caiaphas's court and they move to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is a group of Pharisees and Sadducees too. It wasn't just that one denomination of the Jewish religion. It was, it was like their, like their, it would be like a, like a House of Representatives, maybe the Senate they were actually in. And representatives from various regions and both denominations, even their strength. Sadducees, Pharisees, and a group called the Essenes. And, and, and they would all have representation and, and, and speaking their position and coming to some agreement. Now what's interesting, this is this is going on like like we're like probably three o'clock in the morning by now. Somewhere around midnight, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. But they've now come, taken him, he's out of the garden, they drug him off to the high priest's house, Caiaphas. It's, it's somewhere around 3 o'clock in the morning and all that's going on. 67, he's left the house of the priest and now he's, he's with this Sanhedrin council court political group. And catch the focus of 67. If you're the Christ, tell us. Here's Jesus' answer. If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, whatever you think about me, you will not answer. But he does give this little hint. He won't answer their question directly. He said, why did Jesus say outright? Because it doesn't matter. If I tell you, it's not going to change where you are. You're not asking for information. You're not looking for clarity. You already know what you're going to do. You're not going to play your game. And people read this and say, well, why, why was Jesus so, why was he so vague? Maybe he's really not the Christ. Oh my goodness. Oh, I, I, I really have to work hard about getting angry when people say stuff. If Jesus has been anything, he's been explicitly clear. The problem is, some people just don't want to see. They just don't want to hear. So Jesus said, okay, if that's the case, then I'll just speak in parables. Why do you speak in parables? Because if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, it doesn't matter how much I cloud it or, or complex I make it in a parable, you'll get it. But on the other hand, I can make it just perfectly crystal, simplistic, first grade clear. If you have no eyes to see and no ears to hear, you're not going to get it. So I'm not playing your game. This isn't a fearful man. Oh, maybe if I don't say anything, won't kill me. He's made clear. Back on Palm Sunday, which today, culturally, is today. But I wanted to get to this so much, we covered it last week. Palm Sunday, he knows he's the king. People acknowledge him as king. And he welcomes their acknowledgement. He receives their worship, not arrogantly, but appropriately. Yes, I have come to deliver you. And yes, I'm thrilled that you acknowledge me as your king. And yes, we're going through the darkest time of all the come Easter 
All your hope will be restored. Well, once Jesus says in verse 67, 68, maybe verse 69, 69, I love 69, from now on the Son of Man be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Okay, okay, that's it. Are you really saying you're your God? Okay, that's it. We got you now. We got you now. And the rest of the next chapter and all of this is based on, okay, we, we forced it out of them. That's blasphemy. You're not God. They're going to kill you for blasphemy. So off to Pilate he goes. Because, remember, the Jews at this time, they're, they're governed by the Romans. And, and the Romans fall above them. Yeah, you can have your Sanhedrin court. You can do your Sabbath stuff. You can do all the stuff you want to do. But, but you've got some restrictions. And, and there's a number of them, but the two that come into play frequently is you don't pay taxes like you. You never pay taxes. And number two, we're going to control how you execute capital punishment because you people kill anybody for anything. We can't have craziness like that as if the Romans have culture. So to get capital punishment exercised, they need to get permission from the Romans. So they need the governor. So off to Pilate they go. That puts us in chapter 24. Look at verse 3 and 4. Are you the king? That's what they tell me you're here for. So what's the deal? And Jesus, well, that's what people say. Now you're saying it. Verse 4. By translation, he looks at this Jewish crowd, and he's not naive. He's, he's, he's got his ear to the ground, and even if he doesn't, he has people who do. He, he, he's hearing stuff for the last many, many weeks and months. In my translation of verse 4, Pilate says to the crowd, in his own mind, you people are crazy. This man's not guilty of, of, of what you say. He's a good guy. That's what he's thinking. But he's a politician. i got to keep peace. If, if, if I don't give the Jews what they want, it's going to be a riot. And then if it's a riot, then I have to dispatch my soldiers. And someone's going to get crazy. Someone's going to get killed. And then the word's going to get back to Rome. And then I'm in trouble because I can't keep peace. I'm going to lose this job. Maybe my life. I want to keep my job. I definitely want to keep my life. I want to keep peace. But these people are crazy. And so I'm caught. And if a politician does anything, he lives by expediency, not by principle. I'm not saying that America couldn't stand some redeemed politicians. But you can't be unaware that politics happens by expediency. And you're going to find yourself selling out way more than you thought you ever would. Especially the higher you go. Local stuff, in fact, the old line, I love this, all politics is local. I believe that. You might be able to make a difference locally. Be careful that fame and recognition and easy money, that's some pretty easy money, doesn't become your God. So here's Pilate, you know, and he's, he's playing his role. And as Jesus is telling a story, it comes out in verse 5 that, that this has been going on not just down here in Judea where Jerusalem is, but even up north, northwest in Galilee. 
And Tyler says, wait, well, hold up. You're from Galilee? Guess what? Herod, the governor of Galilee. You know, I'm down here in Judea, but, but, but Herod, the, your own Jewish king, he, he's got that province. So, <laughs> I don't have to, I'm out. I, I, I found the back door. I, I, I got cover. I got political cover. This is not my jurisdiction. You, you gotta go talk to Herod. So off to Herod he goes. And Herod plays with him and asks him questions. And the same thing, are you the king or are you not the king? Blah, 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 blah. And, and there's no, the same thing. And well, since you guys are mine, only made up. It's a repeat of what from Pilate to Herod. Same thing. So to get some pleasure, uh, Herod's people, they slap him around. They just slap him, Jesus, having fun. Show a little authority. I'm not gonna kill you, but, but, you know, just, just appease the, the, the Jews and, and to flex our muscle. Slap them around and, and do some mockery and, and all that's going on. And no, back, back to Pilate we go. This is our Lord. And back to Pilate he goes. In verse 16, 23 and 16, I will punish and then release him. Now, I agree with Pilate, he didn't do anything wrong, but I have some authority to say, well, you know what, I'm going to punish him. Not because he's done anything wrong, but because I can. And it's going to bone to these crazy people out here. 18. They all cried out together. Because the deal was, okay, you've got this custom. Scapegoat. Remember your Jewish custom? Here's a Roman counseling Jewish people with their options. You got this custom that you, that you release a, a, a guilty person, just like you used to release a scapegoat, where we get the language that we still use. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this crook. Everyone knows the crook. No one likes him. His mother don't like him. Nobody likes Barabbas. I'm going to give you Barabbas. They say, no, 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 no. No, no, no. no. We, don't, we want you to kill Jesus. Because Jesus exposes our sin. Barabbas makes us feel okay about our sin. We like righteousness until righteousness infringes on our pleasure. We like righteousness until righteousness exposes our own secret sin. We like righteousness until righteousness makes us see ourselves. So I like going to church unless, of course, he gets too pushy and too personal and then I gotta find another church. We like our parents encouraging us. Be all you can be. We believe in you. And so they're like, you know, you're a filthy liar. Mm. Oh, why does mom and dad say don't believe in me? It hurt my feelings. Mm. We don't like people to tell us the truth, especially they don't tell us the truth gently. So they don't want Barabbas. We would rather let Barabbas go than see this guy who makes us feel bad about ourselves. You know, it's the same attitude when people create their own religion. Now, Jehovah and Jesus and Trinity, no, nah, that's too, no. Nah. So, and we come up with some, uh, another, another person, or I just, I, 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 some cultures worship their ancestors. It's reincarnation, and ultimately, you know, grandma became this, and she became this, and she became this, and then she became a god. 
and, 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 and there's all these gods, and, 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 and they're dead, they're dying, a lot of which, and, 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 and we, we pray to our ancestors. And we don't eat the cattle in India because grandma may have become a cow, and she can't eat grandma. And on it goes. All of this because we don't want God to be over us. We'll make our own God. And in America, we're not idol worshippers. Pleasure is our God. So just because of the name of the faith doesn't mean it's not a God. Sex is a God. Or just the right to do what I want to do. And ain't nobody else business. Becomes a God. Wow. So you got to catch this long passage, 30 and 26. They led him away. They seized Simon. He's coming from the country, laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. A great multitude of people are following women, and, and, and they're mourning and lamenting. And turning to them, Jesus said, I love this scene, that's why I'm going to take time to read it with you. Jesus is now speaking to this grieving crowd and is walking on his way uh, to Calvary. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wounds are never born, breasts are never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, look at the look at the poetic imagery, when the wood is green. The spread of the gospel is just starting to blossom. The root is just sticking out of the ground. Jesus has been preaching the gospel for three years. A number of people have come to faith. Christianity is just getting started. It's very, very, very green. You see the picture? See the metaphor? And if when we're in the green stage, they're killing me, what do you think they're going to do later? Isn't that what he's saying in verse 31? If they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dropped? Jesus is being a little prophetic here. And here we are 2,000 years later. And I'm saying, you better hear the prophecy of Jesus. Yeah. You, you better get familiar with these persecuted Christians. We read about Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You better get familiar with the voice of the martyrs. Go on the website. Read their books. We're way past green, new, life, just blossoming stuff. Christianity in America is very, 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 very dry. And dry wood is like kindling to a raging satanic fire. And Jesus saying that hours before the crucifixion. Don't miss this. He mentions the two thieves. Next section. Look at verse 35. People stood by and watching. So Jesus at this point is hanging on the cross. Look at 35. People are watching, but the rulers, the rulers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, 
all people from the Sanhedrin court and others of, of, of similar philosophies and convictions, they're the ones that are scoffing. Saved others, let them save themselves. If in fact he's the Christ, the anointed of God. Wow. Oh my, oh my goodness. 36, the soldiers also mocked him. Jewish leaders, Roman soldiers, 36, offering him a sour wine. If you're the king of Jews, save yourself! Because he had this title that Pilate put over his nail to the part of the cross above his head, king of the Jews. So everyone's having fun with that language, using that kind of stuff. Verse 44 is the sixth hour. That's noon. Great darkness, darkness, darkness over all the earth. Forty-seven. Well, you, you, you got to read forty-six. Forty-six. Jesus called out at the very end. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I love Good Friday services. Haven't didn't do one last year. Not doing one this year. It breaks my heart. I love Good Friday services. Those seven last words. Here's the last of the seven. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said that, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, I remember. The religious leader is saying, yeah, come on, Jesus. You know, flex your muscle. Do something. Entertain us. Even the Roman soldiers chimed in. Yeah, come on. Save yourself, man. Do something. Jump through some hoop for us. Come on. But one Roman soldier, one Roman soldier, here in verse 47, when he saw what had taken place, he gave praise to God. And said, certainly or truly, this man is innocent. I believe he is the Son of God. This man. My spirit just recognizes this guy's no faith. He's God. This Roman centurion in three, four, two hours or less has come to a conclusion that Judas never came to and Judas walked every day with Jesus for three and a half years. I don't know how long you've been hanging around Jesus. But proximity is no guarantee of conversion. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. It's not saying work for your salvation, but you better work to make sure that I am in. I get pulled away and I'm grieved by it and I confess and I run back to Jesus. Judas never got grieved. In fact, he's getting more clever how to get away with it. Real Christians sin, but real Christians are broken by their sin. And they stop it. I'm appealing to all the Peters. Stop. Stop thinking. No, I can have it both ways. Stop. That's the heart of Judas. Yeah. 
And this Roman soldier says, uh, he's the real deal. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with him. Mm -hmm. He's the real deal. 49, and all of his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance simply watching. Because at some point, they recognized this is God's plan. Mm -hmm. This was predetermined. This has to happen for our sake. We will stand here. We will weep. We will not protest. But we will give our lives in loyalty to this man who's died to keep us out of hell for eternity. That we will do. We'll not fight, we'll not scream, we'll, we'll, we'll not flip over tables, we'll not start fires, we'll not bring a revolution. Now the revolution is saying there was a man who was God in the flesh and he loved us. And he loves us still. And he shows his love by paying for our sin at Calvary. Amen. Starting in verse 50 down to verse 56. Verse 56 says they rested because it was the Sabbath. Jesus is now at rest. And if you put your faith in Jesus, your soul is at rest. I don't have to labor to get my way into heaven. He opened it for me. He carried me there by his sacrifice. How can I keep sinning against a man who loves me like this? How can I just keep going to church, but I got this little thing going on, I got this little thing going on, and, and, and everyone knows it, but no one knows it, and no one... If your heart's not clean before God, get straight, get clean, be holy in His presence. Well, I, I feel pretty good about myself. You're talking about a cultural standard. I'm talking about a biblical standard. Cultural standard, good Lord. I mean, the, the bar is so unbelievably low. I'm talking about divine standard. Be ye holy as I am holy. I want you to love people the way I love people. Your, my voices on the face of the earth, love them the way I love you. Live clean the way I live clean. Not because that gets us into heaven. But it convinces people, no, they've got some kind of connection to heaven. They're able to fight sin. But Judas can never fight sin. Judas don't know how to fight sin. He has no power to fight sin. Worse than that, he has no will to fight sin. When I got saved, I got a whole new will. I got a whole new power. And I got a whole new convicting Holy Spirit. And every time I step back into more life, the Holy Spirit says, What are you doing over here? We don't live here anymore. You're right, you're right, God. You're right. I belong back over here. And I come back over here, and when I get back over here, this, this is home. This is right. What I thought was missing, it, that's nothing. It's dirty, it's filthy. It's... Judas or Peter? Judas or Peter. But he said to the eleven, once Judas is gone, 
I really look forward to having this Lord's Supper with you. And right now, I, I know my time is up. It's 12 o'clock. And I usually say, I, 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 I'm sorry. You know what? This morning, I'm, I, I'm not being funny. I'm not even sorry. Not this morning. Not today. I want us to be still and to think and, 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 and to, to be washed over. By this great love that compels him to go to hell for us. Because when I remember that, the the only question that comes up in my soul is, how, how can I keep trying to run my own life when I wouldn't have life? If Jesus hadn't given me life. It's no big deal to say I owe him my life. He is my life. Not because I'm a pastor. Because I'm born again. He's my life. So here's what we're going to do. This COVID has forced us to this inconvenient process. But it's a self-contained faith. Pull off the top cover, and there's a little wafer that I, I got to tell you with, with contempt. It, it's like chewing styrofoam. And then peel off the second. We'll do this together. Peel off the second, and and we'll drink the fruit of the vine. But it's not about the bread. It was broken. We broke it. It's this. It's the memory. So I'm working past my frustration with this particular method. Better this with COVID than not at all. On this wonderful, beautiful day that we're looking at his Passover sacrifice for us. It's not about this medium. It's about what it represents. Now, if you're a Judas, boy, you should be really worried about keeping up images. But if you're a Peter, yeah, I, I, I'm, there's some changes I've got to bring. I know. There's some stuff I've got to start doing. There's some stuff i got to stop doing. Not because that's going to get me into heaven. But Jesus died and he brought me into heaven. If I'm in heaven, I can't be living like I'm not. Arrogance, pride, boasting, immorality, lying, deception, cheating, stealing. It's an endless list. You know what's on your list. Jesus prayed for Peter. And I literally believe right now in this moment, Eastern Standard Time, Jesus prayed for us. I really do believe that. I want us to remember him. We're going to stand. The singers are going to come. We're going to sing. And as we're singing, just line up on these two outside.